You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So what we've seen in the first six chapters of Daniel as we've paced through his life is that in Daniel chapter one, he was a teenager. And by the time we got to chapter six last week, he was in his mid-80s. Now, what's going to be confusing going forward, especially today and next week, is that it kind of goes back in time. So what we're going to see in Daniel 7 today and Daniel 8 when we get to it are events that happened before chapter 5. So it's kind of like going back to the future. And what happens in Daniel 7 is we get prophetic literature. Now, up to this point, people have had dreams And Daniel, through the Lord's help, has been able to interpret those dreams. Here, Daniel is going to have dreams and visions, and an angel is going to come and interpret them for him. And so what we're going to see is what's called apocalyptic or prophetic imagery. Now, what happens in prophetic imagery is that God used a lot of creative things. So you're going to have to put on your imagination a little bit this morning. In addition, in the book of Daniel, especially chapter 7, it shifts between the seen and the unseen realms. This is crucial. The Bible is a supernatural book. And if you don't believe in the supernatural, then you're not going to be able to understand Scripture. That is that right now there are human beings and there are divine beings. There is the physical world. There is a spiritual world. Right now, behind the world that we do see is a world that we only get glimpses into when God allows us to see it. That's what happens in Daniel chapter 7. Here's where it starts. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Now, all of these are going to represent different kingdoms. The first was like a lion. And it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being. Now that's going to be about King Nebuchadnezzar. We'll see that again in just a moment. He had two feet standing like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. And there was before me a second beast that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides so one side was bigger than the other. And it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked And there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts. And it had ten horns, which means that much more powerful. 
while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So what's going on in Daniel's dream are different nations, different empires that are represented by different animals. We still do this today. The United States is represented by what animal? An eagle. And there are parties within the United States. If you're a Democrat, you're a donkey. If you're a Republican, you're an elephant. And so there are animals that are images of people groups still. Well, that evidently was what was taking place 2,500 years ago. And it's showing us that God's people would be under the rule of a succession of godless kingdoms. In addition, I believe one of the reasons that the Bible uses the imagery of dangerous beasts is because behind these empires, behind these kings and kingdoms are demonic, evil, spiritual forces. And that's why kings and kingdoms come and go. But the same behavior still exists at work, behind the scenes, causing evil death, and destruction. So let's take a look at these four beasts, how they're described and what they represent. First is the image of a winged lion. That's the nation of Babylon. In fact, archaeologists have found a gate that was in the region of Babylon that that was decorated with winged lions on it. And we saw that previously in the book of Daniel. In that same image is one whose wings were torn off and then his mind was restored. That we saw previously in King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the most powerful emperor with the most powerful empire in the world. And then literally, God clipped his wings. He got humbled. He got off of his throne and for seven years, he lost his mind until God restored him. The next empire that was mentioned. The next beast is that of a bear, which is the Medo-Persian empire. Now that empire conquered Babylon and expanded its boundaries. And it's one side is is raised up, one side bigger than the other. That's because in the Medo-Persian empire, one of those sides, this is two different people groups, but it's the Persians that were bigger and stronger than the Medes. And that's why when you study world history, you hear a lot about the Persians, but you don't hear a whole lot about the Medes. Well, the first empire was Babylon. That was where Daniel was taken as a teenager. We saw that chapter one. The second came into existence in Daniel's lifetime. It was fulfilled as the Medo-Persians came in. That was Daniel chapter five. There's a third beast. It's the leopard with wings. Now, how fast is a leopard? <laughs> really fast. If you've got a leopard chasing you and you're like, I gotta run, no, you might as well just lay down and surrender. You're done. How about then a, a leopard with four wings? Well, then it's super fast. You see, that's the prophecy, the speed of which Greece and the Greek empire is going to overtake the entire known world at that time. 
The empire that was led by Alexander the Great, who became a ruler at the age of 20, within 10 years, he had conquered and expanded the ancient known world. He overtook what were the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians. And legend has it that once he conquered all of those by the age of 32, he sat down and wept because there was nobody else to conquer. And then he died. And it was said in the description that his kingdom would be divided into four heads, which means four rulers who would succeed Alexander the Great because he had no heir. So the Greek empire was then divided into four generals that came after Alexander that ruled, uh, he ruled over them. That prophecy was not fulfilled in Daniel's lifetime. It would be a couple hundred years. But all this is pointing to the fact that God is predicting that the Medo-Persian empire would fall, that the Greek empire would come, that Alexander the Great would rise up and Alexander the Great would then die and four generals would then take over. Look, God knows everything. This actually happened exactly that way. God is surprised by nothing. He is in control of everything. What God is showing you right now, what God is revealing, is that he is in control of all the future. There's a fourth one, a fourth beast, a fourth empire. That's the Roman Empire. It was the largest empire in the history of the world. Bigger than the Babylonians, Medo-Persians, and Greek empires. It expanded its borders and boundaries. In addition, it was the longest standing empire in the history of the world. For 1,500 years, the Roman Empire stood. And look again at how it was described. Terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. This is like demonic forces coming together to make one superpower. And that's exactly what happened to the Roman Empire. But now, why does it drive forward? Why does the Bible and God and human history drive forward to the Roman Empire? Why is that so significant? That's who would be in charge when Jesus Christ entered into human history. He came under the rule of the Roman Empire. What God is prophesying here and yet to be seen in this same chapter are the first and second comings of Jesus. And we live between those times. What happens in the days of Jesus? It's the Roman Empire that sentences him to death. It's the Roman Empire that executes him. He rises from death under the rule of the Roman Empire. And the Bible says that he came in the fullness of time. You see, when Jesus' death occurs, his resurrection, that good news, could now go forward to all the nations of the world. Had he died and rose again from a time prior to the Roman Empire, that news would not have gone global as it did in the first century. The point is this. There are multiple ways to view history. If you study history in college, sometimes the focus will be on concepts and ideological movements. Other times, it's significant dates or prominent leaders. 
for God. The center of history is Jesus Christ. And everything goes to, comes from, and focuses on the person and work of Jesus. And all of this is what was driving forward the coming of the Roman Empire. And what it says is at the end, among the nations, there would rise up a little horn. The horn symbolizes strength. It's, it's about king and, and a kingdom, but it's not Jesus. It's a counterfeit. Ultimately, it's the Antichrist. This is a counterfeit Jesus, a counterfeit king with a counterfeit kingdom. And the prophecy has a double fulfillment. It is about a ruler, a horrible ruler, who's going to come in the second century BC. But it's also about the coming of a demonic power at the end of time. Additionally, the Antichrist means two things. Anti can mean against or in replacement of. In the New Testament, 1st and 2nd John is going to use a lot of this language of the Antichrist. The Apostle Paul in 2nd Thessalonians will refer to him as a man of lawlessness. And he has spoken of a lot in Revelation. The book of Revelation quotes Daniel 7 repeatedly. And what it's telling us here is that Satan is always trying to do two things. Oppose all that is for Jesus and replace Jesus. This still happens. I believe that the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in every age, every culture. It shows up politically, morally, economically. There is no perfect culture in which demonic activity is not at work. There is always opposition to Jesus and a desire to replace him as the highest authority, our greatest treasure, the person we are to love most. The gravitational forces of this fallen world are always seeking to pull us down. That's what we see prophesied here in these four kingdoms. Now the good news is, the God who rules over the world is coming to rule in the world. Daniel says, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days, that's God the Father, took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. White usually symbolizes purity, perfection, holiness. The hair of his head was white like wool. Now, this is prophetic imagery. This isn't, yeah, I knew he was just some granddad, old man up on a cloud. No, he's not. His throne was flaming with fire. That's a symbol of judgment. And its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. This is... A, a, a series of, of divine beings, including angels that are attending him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. That means that right now, God the Father is ruling and reigning over a kingdom that is as real as where we live that our Lord Jesus is seated on a throne, ruling and reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords, and God has an army of angels and divine beings, thousands upon thousands, that remain faithful to him. And it signals to us that God is always at work in human history. God is always at work to love and serve and save and deliver his people. 
And this angelic army is available to God's people to have them enjoy the presence and power of God. This is a reality that you need to see by faith until you get to see it by sight. Occasionally, this unseen realm opens up. It does for Daniel. That's what we're talking about here. It does for Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this vision of God, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the, the robe fills the temple. It also opens up for John in the book of Revelation, where we get a glimpse into that unseen realm. Well, Daniel continues. The court was seated. That means the divine council. And the books were opened. This is the record of people's lives and behaviors because God sees and knows all. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In other words, Satan and demons get nothing but allowed to live for a period of time. That kind of explains today. Daniel continues, In my vision at night I looked and there was before me one like a son of man come with the clouds of heaven. Who is that? That's Jesus. The title Son of Man is the title that Jesus in the Gospels uses for himself the most. This is where it comes from. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Here is Jesus. Up to this point, and we might even think of it today, you know, history is dark, Satan seems to be winning, and in a great reversal, Jesus enters human history like the Son of Man. Now, this is human language, just straining to try to get all this imagery out. It's kind of like John writing Revelation. He uses human language to try to describe something that's beyond description. Nonetheless, one like a Son of Man, who is Jesus? He's a man, but he's not just a man. He's eternal. He's with God the Father. He's in heaven. He's being attended to by angels. He's being worshiped, and he enters into human history. That's amazing. That's who Jesus is. He approached the Ancient of Days. Again, that's God the Father. And was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. No wonder Satan wanted to counterfeit this. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What he's talking about is that one day you will die. And when you die, you will not stand before a majority vote. You will not stand before a mirror. You will not stand to declare your own destiny. You will die and you will stand before this king, Jesus Christ, who is seated on a throne. My job is to tell you about Jesus. Your job is to trust Jesus. Additionally, you need to believe that history is closed. It closes with the second coming 
of Jesus. So the story of Daniel continues. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there, one of the divine beings, and and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. You see where Jesus came from. He came down from heaven. Where do these four beasts come from? From below. But the holy people of the Most High. Who's that? That's you. The holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom. God, your Father, has an inheritance for you. And you will be able to possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also want to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than all the others. It had eyes, a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against who? The holy people. God's people. You, if you belong to Jesus. Here's what we get to hear. If you belong to Jesus, you're in a war zone. Human history is a war zone. There's a war for your marriage. There's a war for your family. There's a war for your physical health, your emotional health, your spiritual health. There's a war. How many of you feel it? It feels like you're at war. And I'll tell you why. Because you're at war. (laughs) Satan declared war on God. And if you belong to God, you are Satan's enemy. So as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. The believers are standing firm. They're holding their ground. They're opposing all that is opposing God. And yet they're losing. You know why? Because our only victory is through Jesus. Well, here it comes. So this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days, God the Father, came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Now, how does that happen? Jesus comes back. There is this continuous effort to say, well, you know, if we all just come together and have unity and all agree and set aside our differences, then heaven would come to earth. No, it still won't. That's not how heaven comes. Our hope for this world is not in this world. We belong to King Jesus. We're waiting for King Jesus. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. 
It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress His holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. Satan and demons are saying, you know what? The Bible says that Jesus is going to come back and that He's going to win. I think we can change that. They think they can change God's promises, God's law, God's word. This is what always happens when the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in the world. One of two things will change. Either your behavior or the word of God. And if you change the word of God instead of changing your behavior, you're opposing Christ and you're replacing him with you as the highest authority, you as the king, you as the judge. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. That means three and a half years, and we'll see more of this in Daniel. But the court will sit, that divine court, his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. <laughs> this is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts. My face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself, or in my heart, he would say. Hear me on this. Life is so short. And the things that we labor for, for the most part, are so cheap and fleeting. But the life that God has for you never ends. And his provision is without measure. You need to keep the long view of things, even on the hard days, maybe especially during the hard days. You need to think in terms of eternity. That's what God wants you to see. That's what God has for you. He wants you to set your hope on him and for the future that he has in store. And what he's been saying, what we've been hearing how things are going to get worse before they get better. That God is a king. Satan wants to be a counterfeit king. God has a kingdom. Satan wants a counterfeit kingdom. God wants to provide for you morally, spiritually, in all aspects of your life. Satan wants to counterfeit kingdom that has nothing but anti-God laws. I'll prove it to you. The Apostle Paul refers to him as the man of lawlessness. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. He shows up in the temple. He sits on a throne. And he says, I'm Jesus. He's the counterfeit. Skipping down to verse 9. 
The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. You chase power, you're going to meet Satan. You chase miracles, you're going to meet Satan. We don't chase miracles or power, we chase Jesus. And we don't follow signs and and wonders and miracles, but we expect signs and wonders and miracles to follow us as we follow Jesus. And let me say this. Again, the Bible book that quotes Daniel 7 the most is Revelation. And it goes on to say in Revelation that the Antichrist will rise up and will make war against God's people. Says that in Revelation, the same thing we just saw in Daniel. Antichrist will rise up, go after God's people. What happens then? Then Jesus comes back and triumphs over them. You see, there is a day coming when Jesus is vindicated. And you also get to participate in the victory of Jesus for all eternity. And I want you to have hope for the future, even if at the moment it seems bleak. Originally, this was written to people who were far from home. We're far from home. They were worn out. Maybe you feel worn out. They were fearful that the world was getting darker and worse, and they were scared for their kids and grandkids. Anyone feel that? And it shows us that God is sovereign, that God knows, God rules, God reigns, that Jesus Christ is the king, and his invisible kingdom will be made visible, and his unseen realm will be seen by all. And let me say this. We have more revelation and more information than Daniel did. Daniel saw all of this before the first coming of Jesus, even before the rise of the Roman Empire. We are at a privileged position in history. We are a few thousand years removed from Daniel. We can look back and say, wow, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Roman empires, Jesus would come. All that happened just as God said it would. There's only one thing that remains. The second coming of Jesus Christ. But not in humility this time. In glory. Not in a manger. But on a throne. Perhaps your Jesus has got a whole lot bigger. And when he is done... Everyone and everything will be ruled by him. And all will be good. All will be glorious. And the saints of God will be cheering. That's what awaits us. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.